I was looking at the date of Oceans. You know, it was written in 2012. It usually takes a longer time for a song to kind of become iconic. Um, but for some reason, this song has just encapsulated so much of everyone's journey. That, um, and that's what good music does. That's what good art does. And that's probably why um, some of the stories in Scripture resonate so clearly with who we are. Today we're talking about knowledge and humility and the intersection of those two things. And it's incredibly important. I think it's actually an incredibly important message for Seventh-day Adventists in today's world. Because Seventh-day Adventists, um, good group of people. I like them. Most of the time. Um, I've been one. For the majority, well, you can't really say you've been a Seventh-day Adventist. I've grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist culture my whole life. I chose to become a Christian at one point and chose to express my Christianity through this particular church, through this expression of Christianity. And we're one of many, and we're certainly not the only one. And I think it's important to know that we're not the only ones who think we got it right. Lots of people do. We're a little sliver of this faith called Christianity with some really good stuff and some weird things. Can we own some of that weird stuff? Is that all right? Because we got some, we got some issues. And I'm not going to talk about the issues today because that doesn't make sense. But I do think that it's important that we recognize this. Proverbs 11, 2. And it says this, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen. There's two things that are really important. First of all, it's pretty clear to say that arrogance or pride is a problem. And we see it over and over and over again in Scripture. And secondly, the thing that I think is important for us to know is that when we're talking about knowledge for a Christian, that knowledge is Jesus Christ, Him crucified and Him resurrected, end, period, full stop. Now, I want you to understand that because we've got 28 fundamental belief statements They're great. Good stuff. I teach them. Good stuff. I love the language that we use. But we don't believe in 28 fundamental belief statements. We believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected and him coming again. And the 28 fundamental belief statements are great words that we use to explain who he is. I was preaching in seminary, 700 pastors at Andrews University. And and I'm not really sure why they brought me in. I think it was a mistake. I think they thought so too after the second day. Um, and I said, someone came up to me afterwards and said, do you believe in the doctrines? And I went, what do you mean? And they said, do you believe in the doctrines? And I said, I don't understand the question. And they said, do you believe in the doctrines? And I said, well, first of all, we've got a problem because the Seventh-day Adventist church doesn't have doctrines. So which doctrine are you talking about? And he said, oh, okay, well, whatever, not doctrines, but the belief statements. And I said, believe in them. I've seen them. You can Google them right now. They're written down. And he's like, no, that's not what I mean. I said, well, what do you mean? Because, I mean, yeah, I've seen them. He said, do you believe in them? And I said, do you mean, do I believe in them as if they save me? And he goes, well, well, um, and I went. And I wasn't trying to be a punk. 
I was exactly trying to do that. No, um, I felt like he was asking the wrong question because there was a philosophical understanding that he didn't get. He thought that what he believed in, these words that were written, he thought that that's what saved him. And he thought, I didn't believe in those things. And I said, no, I love the words of our belief statement. But I just think they talk about the person that I believe in. And his name is Jesus Christ. See, it's easy to get arrogant in our own words. Have you ever written a paper? Have you ever written a paper that you thought, yeah, this is, this is, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. Like Some of you are like, nope, never have. <laughs> like, well, I, I'm sorry. Um, every once in a while, I've written in college. I, I wrote a few things that I was pretty, I was proud of. Like I was, one paper in particular, like I thought, I think, I think I cornered the market on truth in this discipline here. You know, I know the professor has a PhD and he's been doing it for 30 years. But if only he had asked me, and he finally did, and so I wrote it down in a paper. I was writing, I was writing so furiously, and this happens to me every once in a while when I'm writing. I'll actually um, experience vertigo when I think I'm being really brilliant. Um, and I'll type, I'll have to close my eyes because it feels like I'm falling in. It's a weird thing, don't... <laughs> Don't hang out with me very often. It gets weirder. Um, anyway, so I, I thought I did it. So when it was time to turn in the paper, you know, the professor says, you know, can you turn in your papers at the end of class? And I waited for everyone to turn theirs in because I wanted mine to be the top one on the stack because I knew that my paper would be the one that all the rest of the essays were graded against. I just knew that. I was sure. And so I brought it to my professor and... Um, and, you know, it was, it was tough to hand it to him because I needed him to understand the weight and the importance of this particular piece of writing that I did. So, um, so I walked up and he said, oh, you, do you have your paper? And I said, I do. I just, I really, and I wasn't really sure what to say because what I wanted him to say is, what I wanted to say to him was, it's, it's really good. <laughs> but I also knew that if I did that, I might be setting myself up for... <laughs> The opposite reaction. You know, you don't want to, you know, it's like a movie trailer. If the movie trailer is too good and the movie's not as good as the movie trailer, you hate the movie more, right? It's one thing if you walk in with no expectation and the movie's horrible. You're just like, eh, whatever. I didn't know. If, but if you get really pumped up because of the trailer and then you go in and, and the trailer's better than the movie, you're angry. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to like give the trailer. But I did. I handed it to him. I, th- I thought so much of this piece of paper that I handed it to him with two hands. And bowed a little bit, like, <laughs> like this. You need, you need to know how important. I was proud of my words. Um, imagine my surprise when we got our papers back. He said, listen, there was one student who just did, I, it, was, it was phenomenal. It was a wonderful paper. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> Genius has been recognized. So I'm sitting in my seat just thinking, huh, you know, that's so, that's right. looking around like, oh, you poor saps. If only, if only you had my brain and what was happening in here. And he kind of went on and it was really good. And then he started talking about the content and it didn't really sound like my content. Uh, and I was like, hmm, weird. I don't remember writing that. He was reading excerpts and he's like, and then they said this. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I, don't, I guess I wrote that. I don't remember writing that. <laughs> But I pro- I'm sure I probably did. I mean, it's brilliant. wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me. He had the person who wrote it get up and come get. We had to clap for them. 
right? Professors, don't do that. That's horrific for everyone else in class. Um, it's especially horrific if you think it's you and it's not. <laughs> it was rough. Um, I was so proud of my words and believed so much in my words that I thought everyone would, of course, recognize how brilliant I was. And the arrogance I had in it was overwhelming. And to go through the humbling experience of not being the best and not being the most brilliant and not being the most chosen and not having figured it out the most and having to live in the humility of just, you know, doing okay. You see... If we fall in love with our own words, they get in the way of the God that they're actually speaking about. If we believe that the words we've chosen to speak about God save us, we don't believe in God. We believe in our own expression of him. And if that's the place we live, we're one step away from Christianity falling in love with the machinations and the words of men and women. And that's a dangerous place to be because it builds in us pride. True knowledge of Jesus Christ builds in us a deep humility. And if you don't believe me, we should probably go to scripture. So turn with me, if you will, to Mark 4, 35 through 41. It's a story that you all know, probably can quote it yourselves. It says this, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Jesus was just a rock star. I mean, there's no other way to say it. People were following him all over the place. He was always trying to get away from people, um, which I think is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, this guy who's supposed to be like the best leader on the planet ever is just always trying to get away from the people who want to follow him. Um, dies on a cross with his mom and a friend. That's it. Nobody else. Um, Jesus is maybe not the perfect model of a powerful leader, but he is a perfect model of a powerful savior. Let's not confuse the two. So they took Jesus in the boat, started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Verse 37. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And it's an interesting word that they use when they say Jesus was sleeping away. Um, the, it's the same term that was used um, in the story of Jonah when he was asleep. Far away. So far, almost not to be able to get them. It's an interesting term. Because the boat couldn't have been that big. On the Sea of Galilee, there's not big, huge cruise liners. There's little fishing boats. But Jesus was so gone in his sleep that he seemed very far away. The disciples woke him up. And it's really interesting. I think narcissism is one of the biggest problems that people of faith have. Well, let's face it. Narcissism is a human condition that's a problem. We all think of ourselves first. So they go to Jesus and they wake him up shouting, which is always an exciting way to be woken up. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? What is their concern here? Their concern is for personal preservation, to maintain their, well, life. But this happens in organizations. 
personal preservation becomes more important than a knowledge of the Savior. Don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, and this, this phrase doesn't do it justice. Because it just says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Let's unpack that for a moment. Jesus wakes up after being shouted out by his friends. Right? That's, that's a little overwhelming. So he stands up and he gets in front of the boat and he goes, stop it. Now I don't know how he did it. If this were Hollywood, there would be, you know, like wind blowing and, you know, he'd be in great pain and Christian Bale probably playing him because for some reason, or, or that other guy, Russell Crowe, he's from around here, isn't he? he? He doesn't have to play God. He thinks he is God already. Um, <laughs> sorry. He seems like he has a huge ego. Anyway, it'd be, one, it'd be somebody like that who'd be standing on the boat, you know, and they go, peace, be still doesn't say that in scripture. It says Jesus got up and went, stop it. Stop it. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he turns around to his disciples and he's like, seriously, what are you afraid of? Do you still not get who I am? And then the next phrase is fascinating because it says, not the disciples were happy, They were grateful and they started praying to Jesus. Not that they were thanking him. None of that. When they met the God-man, Jesus, when they saw the power that was held within him to make the wind and waves stop immediately by the power of his word, because he is the word, the disciples were absolutely, what's that word? You can read. What's that word? Terrified. You, you said it kind of underwhelmingly. Terrified. They were terrified. Um, I have a narrative when I read scripture, so I can't say the word terrified without saying terrified. They were terrified. Why were they terrified? Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Had they not been with him for a significant amount of time? Did they not know who he was already? Oh, they did. They'd seen him heal. They'd seen him do some wonderful things. But this time, it got to them. Why did it get to them? Because they saw him in a different light that they hadn't seen him before. They saw the power that is God. And when you see the power that is God, you know one thing for sure. You're not God anymore. You cannot be narcissistic when you come into the presence of God. How many times have we seen in Scripture that someone sees God and goes, Oh, no, I'm going to die. Because they know when you, re- when you encounter that kind of power, you can't survive it. These guys have been with Jesus for time. They thought they knew him. They thought they had a corner on the market on the way that they spoke about him. And then Jesus said to the wind and the waves, stop it. And it listened. And it scared the disciples to death because they began to realize they were not dealing with someone they can control. They are not dealing with someone that they can get words around and somehow capture and put into a nice little package or 28 fundamental belief statements. They were realizing that they were dealing with a God who words could never 
capture, or express. So the only thing they could do is give their lives over to it, lives even unto death, because that's the only way you can commit to a God that's that big. You think 28 fundamental belief statements are enough? Not even close. Not even close. You see, we've made the mistake of letting our doctrines do our believing for us. And when our doctrines become the thing we believe in, we don't have to worry about the presence of God anymore. The presence of God will humble you. You've seen it. You've been in worship. And you know the Holy Spirit shows up and you're just grateful to be there. You can't have arrogance in the presence of the eternal God. But do we like our words? We do. We use words to separate us from other people of faith because our words are better. And once again, let me affirm those words. I like them. I'm a fan. I just don't think they do God justice. They're our best attempt today. And what I love about the Seventh-day Adventist church is that from the very beginning, the Seventh-day Adventist church knew we're not going to get it all. We're not going to encapsulate who God is by writing this stuff down. You know they didn't want to write anything down at all? They started going, hey, we're not even a denomination, man. We're just a movement of people who want to be with God and do what God wants. And we believe in the present truth of what God is showing us today. And we hope that he will continue to show us stuff. So we're not going to write it down and and solidify it because we know God is still doing a new thing and still changing and still growing. And our understanding of God is getting better and better and more and more. And we hope that he gives us more truth, not less truth. So we're not going to nail truth down because God is bigger than that. Do you know that we didn't even write anything down about being Trinitarians until 1980? Did you know that? This idea of present truth that our early church fathers had, fathers and mothers had, it, it's, it's so good because they knew words were not enough. It had to be your life. They didn't need a denomination because they were going to give their lives to who God was. Then basically somebody donated something and they went, who owns that? Oh no, I guess we got to start a donor. Somebody, we better start an organization. You know? Now we're, what, $18 million strong, 100,000, 100, 100 some thousand. I don't know how many employees we have. There's nothing wrong with a denomination. Praise God for it. But being in a denomination isn't what saves us. Believing in 28 fundamental beliefs isn't what saves us. Knowing Jesus Christ, him died, resurrected, and coming back again is what saves us. To do that in this context is a blessing. Do we have good words? We've got great words. Do we have enough words? No, of course not. Somebody said this at one of the One Projects, and I encourage you all to go to a One Project, regardless of the weird hatred that's out there for the One Project, which is fascinating to me, because the One Project is this to me. Five guys sitting in a room with a couple guys on Skype going, we really want to know Jesus better. We think that we should talk about him more, 
Instead of talking about us, we should talk about Jesus. Instead of talking about our church politics, we should talk about Jesus. And then showing up six months later and something like 178 people showing up in Seattle from all over the world. From there, we've had something like 17 gatherings because people want to talk about Jesus. And somewhere along the line, somebody got the idea that we were going to become the most evil thing that happened in the church. For me, it was five guys and other two friends sitting around saying, we need to talk about Jesus more. That is the whole basis of the one project. That's all. That's it. In Sydney, somebody said, you know what this is like? We were talking about kind of this sort of thing. And it was, I don't know who it was. Maybe she's even here. Some girl. She said, you know, it's like this. And I'll use the illustration um, for my, it's like, it's like me saying this to my wife. Hey, honey, let's go, let's go out to eat. Let's go together. We've got some time. The kids are being babysat. Let's go out to eat. And my wife says, you know what? I'd rather not. Why not? Well, what I've done is I've written all these things about you that I really love. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to stay here and read these things about you that I really love. And I say to her, but I'm right here. We could go out to eat together. And she goes, yeah, I know that. But I like these things that I've written about you more. You understand how silly that can get if we're not careful? I'm glad she wrote 28 things about me. Praise God. In fact, if it were my wife, the truth is there's not 28. (laughs) If I got seven, four, I'd be happy with one. (laughs) You're okay today. Like, (laughs) praise God. I don't want to undermine the doctrine or the belief statements that we have in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I think they're good. I think they're great. I just don't think they save you. I think Jesus Christ saves you. Use the best words you can find to speak of him to everyone who would know him. Give your personal testimony in your words. Don't lean on somebody else's words, but your words on what it is that God has done for you and what it is he will continue to do for you. For some people, for some reason, what I just said sounds like I'm being disloyal. I'm being more loyal because I believe that God has present truth in every single person's life to be able to speak to the truth of who God is more profoundly from your own vantage point than I could speak for you. It's not disloyal. It's loyalty to the right thing because the right thing And I think our doctrines are the right thing. But the right thing held in the wrong way is still the wrong thing. So make sure you're holding deeply onto Jesus. And if you need to borrow words from our denomination to speak of him, then I'm glad they're there. And I think they do help us give a wonderful perspective and expression. But if our knowledge leads us to pride and narcissism, we're doing it wrong. Because our knowledge needs to lead us to the humility that comes from the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives.